Amen. Man. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to begin a new series this morning. I don't know how long we'll be on this, but as long as we need to be, right? Hallelujah. In 2017, the faithful shall flourish, and it shall be like days of heaven on earth. Amen? The faithful will flourish, and it shall be like days of heaven on earth. You know, with this, as we started talking this back in November in the faith, about faithfulness, and one thing we've discovered in this, that faithfulness is not a, just a repetitive action that I take. But understanding faithfulness is a position I set myself in. You know, it's being planted. You know, those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. Being, it's, it's what I'm connected to. Faithfulness is a, is a position I set myself in. And so I just finished a series on your position in the secret place. Talking about your relationship with God in prayer. And, and what I want to start with this morning, I want to deal with just laying a foundation of where we're going to go in the, in the coming weeks, is I believe what's on my heart to share with you is probably the most crucial and most vital revelation or understanding you can receive. You know, I, I know as pastors, we can be, we, be kind of intent on everything we minister. This is the most important thing you'll ever hear. You know, because right now that is the most important thing that you need to hear at that moment, right? Coming from wherever you whoever your pastor might be, you know, so, so understanding, but this, you need to understand this is crucial to our walk with God. This is vital to our walk with God. You know, you know, my favorite scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts and plans of peace and not evil to give you hope in your final outcome. I love that scripture because it lets me know that the creator of the universe has extraordinary thoughts about me. He, he, he knows things about me and he has thoughts about me that I could never have about myself in the natural, right? And, and so the thing is, I believe one of the biggest things that hinders us from, from walking in the, the fullness of what God has for us is understanding our position in him and under what I mean by in him, our position in Christ. When Jesus died on the cross for us, it was way beyond just providing a place for us in heaven. It was, it was to draw us in to this union with God. And it was to cause us to be something that we could not be on our own, Right. And I believe the biggest thing that hinders people from walking in that fullness is the perspective that they have about themselves. I believe the biggest thing that will hinder each one of us is how we see ourselves. What is perspective? Perspective is how I see things. It's my attitude about things. It's my outlook on life. It's how I view situations when they, when, when, when they happen to me. It's, it, and we judge our life based on all maybe our past experiences. We might base it on our education. We might base it on our, our senses, our feelings, our emotions. You know, how many people believe that the word of God is powerful? Right? You know, the word says where the word of a king is, there's power. We know the word is sharper. It says it's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. We know it says that his word, that he sent it, and it will accomplish the very thing that he sent it to do, right? 
So we know his word has power, but we, yet we have to understand that according to Jesus, your perspective can hinder the most powerful word. Jesus went to those that were following him and the disciples and he, and he said this to them. He says, your traditions, Joseph, he was telling them, your traditions. He didn't say it was the church's traditions. He didn't say it was, he was saying it was the, your traditions are making the word of God of no effect. Yes. Meaning the word of God has lost its ability to bring change because of your traditions. Well, you know, we're charismatic, word of faith, Pentecostal people, you know, so we have this kind of this mentality that we're not traditional people. You know, we don't have a program necessarily. So we, we're not traditional or we don't do these certain things during our services and, and so forth. And, and so what, but what is a tradition? A tradition is nothing more than a habit. It's an, it, you could say a tradition is an addiction. You could say a tradition is an opinion. You could say a tradition is an attitude. It's a custom. It's the way you do things. So Jesus was telling those following him, he was saying, look, it's the way you do things in the way that you think and your opinions about things that are hindering my word. Perspective. Perspective. See, God has extraordinary thoughts about you. But my, my question, one of my questions to you this morning is, do you have extraordinary thoughts about yourself? Because you'll never be able to grow beyond your perspective of who God is and who God is in you. You always be capped. You always hit a lid. You see, your perspective is an extension of your faith. It's whatever my view is and whatever I think about the most is eventually is, is really where my faith is. It's how I see things down on the inside of me. It's how I see myself down on the inside of me. You know, think, think about it for this moment. It's, it's what you, what do you see when you look in the mirror? What do you think about yourself when you look in the mirror? What do you say about yourself when you look in the mirror? You know, if I were to have a, a mirror up here and, and, we, and we would look in this mirror and say, Rick is standing here with me and I, I'm looking at Rick's reflection. You know, I, I just see the surface of Rick. I, I just see, I, I just, that's Rick. And I just see the surface, but when Rick looks in that mirror, he sees so much more. Yeah. I see Rick. See, when I look in the mirror, you're looking at me, you, you see me. But when I look at myself, if I'm not, not careful, I see, can see a whole lot of things that I shouldn't see. Right. You know, thinking think about it, if you have a, a phone, pull your, pull your phone out. And go to your camera. We'll do a selfie here, or oh, I need to flip it around, don't I? Or an ussy, or a wheezy. There we go. A wheezy. You like that, Rick? A wheezy. So you know now, now just look at yourself. 
isn't that weird? <laughs> just staring at yourself. Just too close. Man, I should have done something there. And you look at yourself, and I see you, but what do you see? You know, there's some people may look at themselves and where I, I, I see I, I see what God's created. You might see, man, I'm worthless. I'm I'm a failure. You might look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I look good on the outside, but I hope my I hope my spouse never finds out about this. I hope if they if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. And and we view our perspective that we have about ourselves of what maybe no one else might know about you is hindering God's greatest things that he desires to do in your life. And we limit him too often by our perspective. You know, when you got up this morning and, and, and you were getting ready and you, were, you, went, you went to what? The mirror, right? And you corrected what needed to be corrected. You painted what needed to be painted. You plucked what needed to be plucked. You popped what needed to be popped. You, you shaved what needed to be shaved. You fixed what needed to be fixed, right? And so we, we're, we're, we're professional about fi- fixing up the outside, right? We want everyone to see this view of us of being, being we want to portray a certain image. But yet, what about the image down on the inside of us? You know, you know, when you're, you're, you, you take pictures and, and someone, you, the first thing you do when you look at pictures, you go through them, you're not looking at everyone else, you're looking at yourself. Just be honest. Just be honest. When you, you, you say, hey, look at this picture of us, the first thing you do is look at you, right? You're not looking, oh, they look, sure look great. No, you're, do I look good? It's just human nature. Delete, trash can. And you know what? It's like if there was a great picture of like five of you standing there and they all looked amazing and yet you, something was, wasn't right, your hair was sticking up, your eyes were closed. You know what? You will never post that. You would never post it, right? Why? Because of how you look. But yet we go through life with this distorted image. And we just go week in and week out, month after month, year after year, and we never get a true revelation of what God's thoughts are about us. And I'm telling you, this is, this is crucial and this is vital. What we're going to be discussing over the next, the next five weeks or so. This, this is going to be such a, a life change for some people. And, and maybe you already have a revelation of some of these things. And if so, I believe it's going to strengthen your walk with God. It's going to cause you to be stronger in who you are and who he's created you to be. You see, the enemy is always out for your image. You see, the thing that you look in the mirror and the thing that, that you look at and the things and the flaws that you see about yourself. See, the enemy has used those things probably your entire life to keep you bound. In Psalms 129 verse 1, it says, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. And then it says again, many a time and much have they afflicted me from my youth. But then it says, but the enemy shall not prevail against me. What has the enemy tried to afflict you with your entire life? You know, for me, it was insecurity about how people viewed me. And it was, it, it was, it was a 
the fact that I couldn't speak in front of people and God has a sense of humor because that's what I do now. And so we have this view, you know, it's, I'm either, you know, I'm too, too ugly, too fat, too skinny. My hair's too curly. All these different things that we place in ourselves and the enemy will use those things to confine you all the while. God is saying, I want you to break out. I want you to be, I want you to step into things that you never thought you could do. But it's, you, it has to begin. It has to start with knowing how you were created, knowing why you were created and what is so magnificent about you. The enemy is out to destroy your image. Let's look at Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So he said, let us make man in our image. Wow. Get get a hold of that. Let us father, son, and Holy spirit. Let us make man in our image. That word our image means exact duplication in kind exact likeness. So when God says, says, I want to make there, I want them to be just like me. Think about that. Be just like me. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he, him male and female created he, them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And we, as we go on and read, it says that, and it said, and he, it was very good. Say, it was very good. Was very good. See, God created you in, in his image, and he called you very good. He created them, gave them everything that they would need. He gave them power, gave them dominion, gave them authority. We go over into Genesis chapter two, and it talks about that he planted them in a garden, planted them in a perfect place, in a perfect environment, not missing anything, not lacking anything, not having any deficiencies whatsoever. They were perfect. Say perfect in every way. In the end of Genesis chapter two, it says that they were naked, but yet they were unashamed. In Psalms chapter eight, it says, who is man or what is man? The angels are having a conversation here and they say, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you would, that you would visit him, that you would care for him. What is man that you're mindful of him, that you would care for him? It says you gave him dominion and it said you clothed him with glory and honor you clothed him, meaning, meaning you wrapped around him glory and honor. See, they weren't, they weren't necessarily, they were naked naturally, so to speak, but they weren't missing anything. They weren't lacking anything. They were unashamed. Why? Because they were clothed with glory and honor. They were clothed with the very thing that makes God, God. And in Genesis chapter three and verse one, we, we see immediately what happened is the enemy came in. It said the enemy who's crafty, deceitful, more deceitful than any other thing, cunning, meaning he knows how to do it. He likes to get close and become friends. 
And then he wants to distort the image. Their image was perfect in every way. They weren't lacking. There was nothing that they lacked, Rick. Nothing. What would it be like that there was nothing that we lacked? Man. Nothing. Let's pick this up in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden. Except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, blessing and calamity. Think about that. Here she was perfect in every way, not missing anything, not lacking anything. But what did the enemy come? God doesn't want you to do that because he doesn't want you to be like him. She was already like him. They were already, there was nothing they lacked. See, the enemy always wants to come to destroy your image of who you are. We see the same thing in the Garden of Eden. I mean, in, in the, when Jesus was baptized and, and it, said the, it said the presence of God came down on him like as like a dove. And it said there was a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. Yeah. What's the very next thing that the enemy does? He went to Jesus and said, if you be the son of God. See, he, 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 I got it just, a voice from heaven just happened and just said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But yet the enemy comes immediately and does what? If you be the son of God, Brenda, he's out for our image. The enemy is out for your image. That's why the enemy wants to continue with racism and continue with hatred and, 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 and everything that goes on to have one person hate another. Why? Because, because, because he doesn't want us to walk in our image. He always wants us to doubt our image. People be confused about their image. And so, so the thing is, the enemy is out to destroy this image because he wants, he wants what he never had. What do I mean by that? In, in Isaiah 14, 14, it said, it said Satan. It said that, it said, it, see, this is what Satan, he goes, he goes, I will ascend above the most high. And it said, I will be like him. Satan wanted to be like him. But yet when he saw us, he was like, I always wanted that. I always wanted that. I wanted to be like the most high. And if I could just destroy that, I want to destroy the image. I want to destroy the image. I want to destroy the image. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He never wants you to receive or walk in the image you were always created to be in. You have to establish and we have to establish in our hearts that we are made in the image of God. 
I'm so grateful that Jesus came to fix our image. I'm so grateful that Jesus did something about our distorted image. In Genesis 3, if you kept reading there, it said, it said God spoke and he said, there's one coming that's going to bruise your head. And you're going to bruise your, and you're going to bruise his heel. I mean, there's one coming that's going to fix this image. There's one coming that's going to fix whatever the enemy messed up. That's going to bring it back together to bring it into a place of perfection. Hallelujah. Thank you, father. Second Corinthians chapter two. I'm sorry. Chapter five. Thank you, father. Look at this verse 12 real quick. I'm reading the Amplified. It says, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but providing you with an occasion and an incentive to be rightfully proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who pride themselves on surface appearances, on the virtues they only appear to have, although their heart is devoid of them. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us and urges us and impels us because we are of the opinion and the conviction that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a human point of view. Now, now get a hold of it. Don't just gloss over this. Paul's saying here, he goes, no longer, no longer do we estimate and regard no one from a human point of view. Meaning, I'm not to look at Cassie as mere flesh anymore. Because what happens is, is, is what it said to be here, you're just worried about outward appearances. Meaning, we need to stop judging each other by just a human point of view. So how much more stop judging yourself by a human point of view? So that's what the enemy always wants to do is for you to judge yourself according to a human point of view, because you know what? You'll never measure up. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be pretty enough. You'll never be successful enough. If you look at things from a human point of view. No, even though we once did. Now listen, even, no, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral spiritual condition has passed away and behold, the fresh and new has come. Let me ask you, are you born again? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Then I'm going to no longer judge you after a human point of view. It even said, he goes, we no longer judge, judge Jesus as a man. We judge him on who he is now. You are a new creation. See, a lot of times that even in Christian circles, that can just go over our heads. You are a new creation. You are something that never before existed. When you accepted Jesus into your life and you said, Jesus, come into my life, come into me. You know what? You became something that never before existed. But see, too often we say a prayer and yet we still view ourselves as we always were. We have to start judging ourselves that we are new creations. I'm a new creation, Rick. 
I'm a new creation and he's perfecting me day by day. I'm a new creation. My spirit is brand new on the inside and he's perfecting my soul day by day. My soul is catching up with my spirit man. I'm a new creation. Something that's never before existed. Say I'm a new creation. But yet too often, we still look at ourselves in the mirror and we point out all our faults, all our faults and all our flaws and all our mistakes, just hoping one day we'll be able to attain this position in Christ. Your position, the moment you got born again, is in Christ. I am in him. And he is in me. I just didn't get saved and going to heaven. Christ is in me. I am in him. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I that lives. Nevertheless, not I, not I that lives. It's not I that lives. I am crucified with Christ. Meaning my old man is dead. Who I used to be, that man that was fearful, that one that was full of insecurities, the one that couldn't do things, the one that was thought that I I, I couldn't get by, the one that thought I'd never make it or be successful in life, that one, he's crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I that lives, but it's what is Christ that lives within me and the life I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Meaning, I'm not even living according to my own faith anymore. I'm living by His faith. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Say, I'm growing. Ah, Thank you, Father. Scriptures came up in my heart in Romans It says, whom he foreknow, he also predestined that we might be in the image of of Christ, that we might be conformed to the image. Whom he foreknow, he also predestined that they could be conformed to the image of his son. Meaning everything about being born again is to becoming like Jesus. Everything. He foreknew me. He saw me from the foundation of the world. He saw you, Stuart, and he looked at Stuart and said, he's going to look like Jesus. He's going to be like my son. He's going to be like them in Adam and Eve, like Adam and Eve were in the garden before they ever sinned. Why did Jesus come? Not to give us just a place that we can call heaven one day. He sent Jesus. So we could, we could be like Adam and Eve in the, were in the garden before they ever sinned. Think about that. Ephesians chapter 2. Wrong way. Verse 1. And you he made alive when you were dead and slain by your trespasses and sins. He made you alive in your trespasses and sins. Meaning... He, when you were already dead, he already made you alive. Verse two, in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following wherein in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
Meaning at once you were walking in a way that was lined up with the enemy. And what does he do? He distorts your image. Verse three, among whom also we had our conversations in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. Verse four, but God, meaning you had this nature, you had this old nature. You were like everyone else, but God who is rich in mercy. What is mercy? There it means abounding in kindness and goodwill, rich in mercy. For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Now listen, even when we were dead in our sins, meaning you didn't do anything to earn this, you were dead in your sins. Say my sins. But yet he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Man, think about that. My position is in Christ Jesus. My position is seated with him in heavenly places. And that's not one day when I pass and I leave this earth. That is now. That is right now. That's right now. But yet if you just view yourself, I'm a failure. I'll never amount to anything. What are you doing? You're discounting everything that Jesus did for you. You're letting go of your position. My position is I'm seated with him. I'm seated with him. Hallelujah. Even when we were dead in our sins, as they quickened us together with Christ and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches, exceeding riches of his grace. The exceeding riches of his grace. What does that mean? Exceeding riches of his grace to his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The exceeding riches of his grace. Heard one, somebody say that phrase of exceeding riches of his grace was God's love at Christ's expense. Really, that riches is God's love toward us. The riches of his grace through, Amplified says, in Christ Jesus. See, this grace is in Christ Jesus. It's not in you. It's in Christ Jesus. Because the next verse says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This grace is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. But too often, even after we get born again, we still look in that mirror and we try to perfect everything about ourselves when it's by grace through faith. I want to read a quote to you that I, that I saw from Watchman Nee in his book, Sick, Sit, Walk, Stand. It says this, most Christians make the mistake of trying to walk in order able to sit. But that is a reversal of the true order. Our natural reason says if we do not walk, how can we ever reach the goal? What can we attain without effort? How can we get anywhere if we do not move? But Christianity is a strange business. If at the outset we try to do anything, we mess up everything. For Christianity begins not with a big do, 
but with a big done. Our Christian life begins with the discovery of what God has provided. From this point onwards, Christian experience proceeds as it began, not on the basis of our work, but always on the finished work of another. If you look at the book of Ephesians and you look at the first three chapters, you'll see what we've received by grace. And there's a lot of teaching out there about grace and, and a lot of it I agree with and some of it I don't. You read the first three chapters of Ephesians, you're going to see this work that was established by grace. But when you look at the last three chapters of Ephesians, you see how we're to live in this grace. See, grace isn't a band-aid for my sin. Grace is an enablement for me to keep sinning more. Grace is an empowerment in my life to cause me to live like Jesus. Grace is an empowerment in my life to cause me to live holy. Grace should drive me living more of a a sanctified lifestyle, not away from a sanctified lifestyle. If I'm truly walking in grace, because if I'm truly walking in grace, then I understand I'm not living by the letter of the law, but I'm living by the law that's been written on my heart. The law wasn't done away with, the, so to speak. The Ten Commandments weren't done away with. It just changed positions. It went from something that was written down to something that came inside me. And so understand this grace isn't, isn't a way for you to live any way you want. This grace, if you truly understand it, causes you to live free. 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 Meaning, I don't have to remain the way I've been. Because deep down inside, none of us like the way we were. And none of us like some of the actions that we take. And some of the attitudes that we might presently have. But the only way that you're ever going to be truly free from this is when you understand and have a right perspective. That my position is in Christ. My position is in Christ. Let's go to Ephesians 1. Before I read this... Kelly, can you put on uh, John chapter 3, verse 27, and put it on the screen so we we can all see this? John 3, verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given to him from heaven. Let me read that again. John answered and said, A man, say that's me, can receive nothing. Receive nothing, say that. Except to be given to him from heaven. Get a hold of that. A man can receive nothing except to be given to him from heaven. No matter how good you might be in the, in the natural, you're never going to be good enough. We had to have heaven intervention. And every day I need heaven intervention. Every day we need to live at heaven intervention. Look at Ephesians 1. So this morning I'm just laying a foundation. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. 
What did we just see, John? A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I mean, the Father blessed us. He, he empowered us. He gave us everything that we would need. Verse four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us according to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Amen. So just in these scriptures, get a new perspective about yourself. When you look in the mirror, get a, get a picture. And you have to write this down and, and talk to yourself. And, and you say, he has blessed me. He has chosen me. Hallowed from the foundation of the world. There's times I've had to do that in my own life where I sit there and, and look in the mirror and talk to myself and say, Justin, he has blessed. God has blessed me with every blessing, every blessing in heavenly places. Look at myself in the mirror and say, according as chosen Justin in him before the foundation of the world. Verse five, having predestined on the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure of his will, the good pleasure of his will, the good pleasure. A couple of years ago, I taught it's what he likes to do. Remember? When Jesus said, I will to the, to the man that had, that had leprosy, when Jesus said, I will, Jesus was saying, it's what I like to do. So what we're seeing here, the good pleasure of my will is what I like to do. What he likes to do for you, Justin, is for you to know that you've been adopted by him. You're a child of God, that you are the rights of God, that you are blessed in him, that you're chosen in him. You're a peculiar people. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood that you're created in his image. See that this is what we have to understand and get a hold of in our lives. Verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted, made us accepted in the beloved. Doesn't matter what person in the natural might not accept you. Want to know he accepts you for who you are. And he loves you so much to keep you that way. Like I said at the beginning, though, the biggest thing that will hinder us is our perspective. This can't be just hearing a message this morning and those are good thoughts, those are good ideas. Thank you, Pastor. No, this has to change because this is the core of Christianity. It's the core. Coming to church is not something I do just to say I did my religious duty. That's not why we come to church. We come to church to experience him, learn about him, grow in him, and grow in this grace. Coming to church is not, hey, I did my, my religious thing today. Hey, I'm good. God loves me. Praise God. He loves you whether you're here or you're not. But the issue is he desires you to walk in everything that grace has provided but the thing is, is our eyes need to be open. Our eyes need to be open and stop seeing things the way we've always seen them. Stop seeing ourselves the way we've always seen ourselves. And allowing 
this position in Christ to change everything about us. I'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And this is the Apostle Paul's prayer. Ephesians 1, verse 17. For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of inside of the mysteries and the secrets and the deep, intimate knowledge of him. Now think about that. That God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. He wants to give you something. He, he wants to... He wants to, an exchange to take place. He wants to exchange the way you think about yourself to exchange what he thinks about you. Give you a wisdom and a revelation in what the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. He wants you to gain a new perspective. Paul saying to the church of Ephesus, I want you to see something you've never seen. I want you to walk in something you've never walked in. I want you to be what you've never been able to be. I want you to your eyes to see something. And my prayer is, is for every single one of us this morning that our eyes would be open. That the enemy would no longer hinder us. Going back to the enemy just for a moment. And he likes to deceive image. You know, it says even the New Testament says when the Jews, it says they hear the gospel. It says they hear it with a veil over their eyes. Why? That's the enemy blinding their eyes to hear what? What I'm sharing with you. That's what he doesn't want people to walk in this. And that's why the, the enemy will use everything from, from scientists, journalism, atheists, uh, different, different types of thought processes to all discount the word of God. Because if he can discount the word of God, then he can discount your image. But Paul says, I want the eyes of your understanding being opened. So what? That you might know the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glories and inheritance of the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Man, get a hold of this. He wants your eyes open. So you get a hope of his calling. Where you know the inheritance and you know the exceeding greatness of his power. See, your eyes need to understand what he's called you to each one of us to do. Your eyes need to know what is your inheritance. And these are some of the things that we're going to discover over the weeks. What is your inheritance? What is your inheritance? And the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Our eyes need to be open to this. Because I'm telling you, as your eyes are open to this, you'll be able to walk. We've never been walk, be able to walk before. Talking about being, when, when we understand our image in God, what would, what would it be like the presence of God be in this place if we understood our position in Christ? Too often we come in church and we're thinking about all our mess ups and all our failures and all the way people have done us wrong. And we're viewing everyone after human viewpoint. But what? We're new creations. And Paul says, I want your eyes open to this. Know the hope. Know what you're called to. Know the inheritance. Know the exceeding greatness of his his power. Verse 20, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places. 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world, which are to come, man, your eyes got to be open to this. And this is not something one, this is now. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church. It sounded like what, whatever God did to Adam and Eve, Paul stating here, gave them all authority, all the power and all dominion. Verse 23, which is his body? Talking about the church, which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body, lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. Think about that, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all for in that body, the church lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete. He makes you complete. He makes you complete. He makes you complete. Ricky makes you complete. Stuart, he makes you complete. Devin, he makes you complete. Art and Rose, he makes you complete. Hallelujah. The full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. Your position, it's in Christ. You're not lacking anything. You're complete in him. You're complete in him. The enemy talks to you about what you're lacking and what you don't have and what you're less than. You look in the mirror and say, he's chosen me. He's called me. I'm equipped by him. I am powered by him. I'm not controlled by my, my emotions. I'm not controlled by my feelings. He's filling me to fullness and all in all, complete in every way. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you that it equips us, it empowers us, and it strengthens us. Father, I thank you according to your word. You said that we come behind in no gift for that we are well able through Christ to do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. And Father, we lay hold of that position in Christ. And we allow, and we allow the that position in Christ to grow on the inside of us. Not that it's based on what we do, but it's based on what you've already done. We receive what you've done at the cross. And we thank you that that work, that work is perfecting us. As Paul said, you perfect that which concerns me. You're perfecting everything that concerns us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Corinthians says, in Christ, he always leads us in triumph. I want you to know that in Christ, you're victorious. In Christ, you're not lacking anything. Hallelujah. Everyone bow your head for a moment. Thank you, Father. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor Justin, I hear what you're saying and I hear about this righteousness. I hear about this new creation. I want to encourage you, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, 
Don't leave here today without making that decision. If you've never accepted Christ into your life to come and make his home in you and begin this journey of grace, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. If you're here and you want to make that decision and accept Christ into your life as a living reality and a living personal relationship, just slip your hand up right where you're seated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We thank you for your work being done in us and through us. Thank you, Father. Everyone repeat this after me. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. I receive Jesus. I receive his work in my life. Thank you, Father, for changing me from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me, making me brand new. I am a new creation. I am born again. I am set free, never to be the same again. And Father God, I thank you for this grace that you've given me to empower me. I lay aside every weight. I lay aside every sin. And I receive your grace to empower me to walk above every fear, every addiction, every hurt, every offense. I receive your grace. It restores my soul. It heals my body. It makes me new. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a shout of praise. You believe that? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God is faithful. Like I said, this morning was just a foundation. And I'm going to get in and we're going to talk about righteousness. And what righteousness is. And what righteousness provides for our lives. Who we are in Christ. Amen. You don't want to miss it. I encourage you to bring somebody with you that needs to, that needs to know who they are in God. Amen. Tell the enemy is defeated. He's under your feet. You need to know that he's under your feet. You, you need to know that he, the enemy is under your feet. Amen. Hallelujah.